Hello, and welcome to the Pep Talk with your two favorite bald frauds, Sam and Jason. Um, today we're going to review the wonderful 4-1 win over Liverpool and talk about everything that happened in that match and uh, maybe look forward a little bit, but look forward to the rest of the season as we're coming up in a great time. Jason, Wonder- how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, man. What wonderful smashing of Liverpool, actually. Um, <clears throat> you know, we kind of, kind of, kind of predicted it in the um, in the in the pre-match in that ten minutes that we talked about in the, in the transfer podcast. If you missed the transfer podcast, go have a listen. It was actually really, really good. Um, but in that first ten minutes, you know, I was hoping that we smash them, um, and yeah, it, we got a four-one smashing. It's always good to smash the, um, you know. The Scousers. The Scousers, yeah. <laughs> it's always good. Always good to smash. It's on. always good. So that was, it, it's all, and it was really, really good fun. Um, it was a very enjoyable match. Uh, it was This match has given me confidence for the rest of the season. So this was one of the matches that I was very nervous for, for the running. And I think it was a must win for us in terms of title race, um, title race implications. I think we all agree that we knew, we knew Arsenal was beating leads so the the paramount or the importance of this match was was there for everyone to see yeah I, I agree I think this was a big game for a couple of reasons I mean one to see that we kept our form since before the international break because that's one thing you worry about is when you're clicking and you're hitting on all cylinders and then boom international break and might lose some of that. It's good to see that maybe this is more than just form. Maybe this is how the team is going to play. Um, so I really hope that's the case. And it was just, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. 100%. So let's get into it. Um, when you saw the lineup, how'd you feel about it? I know there wasn't really much of a surprise. We kind of knew that Holland yeah. and Foden would be out. Um, were you surprised by Bernardo on the bench? So, and we were discussing this before, and we were a bit nervous, and we were talking about if Haaland was going to play or not, or if, you know, if he was really touch and go. Um, um, but once it became apparent that he wasn't starting, I, th- I feel like the starting lineup kind of picked itself. Um, the only the only questions I had was whether Bernardo would start at right wing and if Walker or Stones would play. So th- that was really the only two options that we had basically and if you looked at our bench there was no one on it <laughs> literally no one on it so um it kind of picked itself and then we heard bernardo was sick so you're just like okay that makes sense so mara starts um and then the only only other choice was really stones in for walker and based on how stones has been playing you say okay fair enough that's a, it kind of picks itself you know you could you could go either way you could say i want walker in um to match the pace and the the counter-attacks uh, of Liverpool, and we'll talk a bit about that first goal that Liverpool did score, but um, <clears throat> you can see why people would say they want Walker in that position. But, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, there's a choice you got to make, and we'll talk a bit about that tactical side of, you know, why Stones fits a little bit better in that right-back spot than, than Walker at the moment, what, what, what that gives us. But yeah, it kind of it kind of picked itself. I was happy with the lineup. It, it's happy as you can get. You'd run, you'd want Haaland and Foden to play in a game like this. Um, and I said in the pre-podcast, we, you know, Foden might not have started anyway. So 
it's just Haaland. That's the main one that was missing. But otherwise, I'm, I was happy with the team. It's it's a strong team. They've won a lot of games before. Um, and I think this is one of the games that Alvarez was able to prove himself in a big game. So it was good to see. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. There wasn't really much surprise in the team. I thought Bernardo would play somewhere just because of his energy and pressing against Liverpool, and that's so important. Yeah, um, I agree. Didn't really expect uh, Liverpool to just kind of lay down the way they did. So in that case, it, it does make sense that, you know, and we'll get into this more when we dive into the tactics. But, um, yeah, I mean, everything was kind of perfect. Everyone really played well. So you can't really, and even before the the match, like, am I really going to be upset that Bernardo's not playing on the right wing and Mares Ramadan Riyad is not going <laughs> to play? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that's not really a huge surprise. Like, just because he was really good once against Leipzig, he's gonna all of a sudden start over Mares? I don't think so. And, um. I mean, you can't really like Gundogan, and, and he was. You're sick not going to fault Gundogan. Yeah, and, for, and like, he was sick as well. So, like, it, again, it kind of picked itself. You know, you're not going to start yeah. a sick, sick Bernardo where he's you know not 100. percent You'd rather start Myers, you know, um, over over a player that might not be 100. percent It's the same thing with Haaland. Like, he could have been 80, percent but do you risk him? Do you do you play a player that's not 100 percent confident with his own body? You wouldn't, not in a game like this. So it, ma- it kind of makes sense that Mara started either way. Yeah, and I think that um, Stones being able to play that inverted role also um, allows Pep a little more flexibility because now he doesn't have to play Bernardo as this false left back <laughs> kind of thing. Because, like, <laughs> it's because, you know, when Stones was injured and before Stones played there, he's only played there a couple matches. Yeah, that's and right. And he's done perfectly when he, when he has. But. Before that, really the options were um, either Bernardo or Gundogan has to drop from midfield and then Walker would play high and wide or um, Rika Lewis would play there or Bernardo would play this weird inverted left back role. So now that Stones can play that position and and looks honestly the best at it, Uh, it kind of picks, like you said, it picks itself. So, <laughs> can um, I just say, I love John Stones. He he's is so such good. an amazing footballer. He's so smooth. It's like, oh, we'll talk about it a bit more later. But, geez, man, what a player! Uh, and I think, I think he fits that role so, so well. <laughs> Not only because, like, of his passing range and um, the way he 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 moves he moves like a midfielder. It's it's crazy to see. It is crazy to see. Like I've seen him play defensive midfielder before, and it didn't look the best. But in this role, oh geez, wow! I love Justin. So Bates. good. I love him like, too. Like he's just so. Good. He's and he's got to be the most underrated Premier League player. Oh, dude, we have dude. seen in years. I mean, like. If Stones was playing week in, week out at center back for a year, like ever since Ruben Diaz really came in. That season he paired Ruben Diaz. He's been brilliant since then. Yeah, since then he's been brilliant. 
yeah, the only thing that stopped him really has been the couple injuries in between there. And you ask any other neutral fan, you ask a United fan, you ask a Liverpool fan, you ask an Arsenal fan, they wouldn't even mention John Stones. They don't even think about him. And that's how that's how you know if a, someone watches your team, by the way. If, if someone actually knows City, but they, they're a neutral or they're a rival fan, if they tell you John Stones is a brilliant player, you know they know their football. If they tell you, oh, John Stones is rubbish because they're basing it on opinions from 2008 when he made a couple of mistakes in that Otamendi season where we had Laporte out for the whole season and we made a few mistakes. If they're judging him on that, then you know they don't know shit about football because he has been absolutely phenomenal since that 2021 season where he paired Diaz. Where him and Diaz were like, I think we went on a 21-game winning streak that season um, and they were the center pairing where we barely conceded any goals. So, look... He's been phenomenal for years now, so and now he's doing a completely different role, and he he looks he looks phenomenal in it. Like God, yeah, he's he's just he's absolutely incredible. He can he's so versatile as well, and like you said, like people just don't know. No. How give good. John Stone give John Stones his props, man. <laughs> That's all I could say. Ugh. Yeah, it's. Hashtag give Stones his props. Put that right next to hashtag find Cancelo a home. <laughs> Still trying to find him a home. You see the report that came out yesterday? Buying a refu- will not pay the 70 million release clause. <laughs> we'll try and negotiate with with Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, I saw it said they're not, they won't pay more than like 44 million pounds yeah. or something like that. Just and give honestly, him, like just give 45 away, million man. pounds, just take him. Take just him. take him. That's take why. him off our hands. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, they can have them at that point. So, um, all right, well, let's start with the first half. Um, Obviously, you know, City conceded first uh, in the 17th minute. And I was. What were you feeling in those first 17 (sighs) minutes leading up to the goal? And then what were you feeling when the goal went in? So up to the 17 minutes, I was like, we are absolutely smashing these guys. We are all over them. We had complete control. We were dominating. Um, Liverpool were sitting back. They were just, you know, you knew they were going to go on a counter, right? Like that, that's, that became their game plan because we were just playing right through them. Like it was, it was like a hot knife straight through brother. Honestly, it, it, it was, it was strange to see us do that to a Liverpool team, a Klopp team, I should say. We don't usually do that to Liverpool. Usually we get a, a few great goals if we do get all the, they get a red card like that that season, but we never actually, we've never actually tore them to shreds like this. This was a thrashing, right? And then for them to score that first goal after 17 minutes was so frustrating, and I was pissed. I was like, "You got to be kidding me! You got to be kidding me!" Like we're dominating, and they get they they get one chance and they score off it. And it's just like, okay, we played the offside trap, you know, we we let them slightly onside. It's a it's a hard. It's a hard, it's a hard, you know, you can't really blame anyone for it, I think. You know, I've seen a lot of people blaming Kanji for that one. I don't think you can blame a Kanji for that. It's just one of those things. It's really tight. You get fair enough. Um, I feel like a Kanji could have done better on the on, on the 1v1 in, in, in the Yota um, challenge, like where he, where he fended him off. You know, he should be a bit stronger there, get to the ball, flick it off. Um, but, you know, it's just it's just a typical Liverpool goal against us, you know. Salah running down. It, it reminded me of that first goal that they scored against us. Um, 
um, in the in the in the reverse league at Anfield where um, they played a ball. Of, I think it was Allison at the time played the ball over the top straight to Salah. Cancelo miss miss times it and then Salah on goal. It was very similar to that um, where it's just one ball over the top beats our entire defense um, and they go they go and score. Thankfully, I think this happened at seventeenth minute mark, so it kind of woke us up a bit. And I feel like because we were so dominant in that first 15 minutes, we just continued what we were doing. Um, even though we had a couple scary moments before we, we equalized, I just felt really, really, really frustrated with that goal. It was just like, not again. Like, come on. Um, so, yeah, I had, a, I had a minute of being really down, I'd say. I was really, really... I was in the dumps for about a minute. What about you? So, I'm kind of with you on the lead up to the goal like for the first 17 minutes very first minute of the game and i wrote about this in my thread um if you guys don't follow me on twitter at citizen america I, I write threads on these and it's a little bit different content than we talk about here but anyways i i wrote on my thread literally the first minute of the game we tore straight through their press i mean just straight through it and that's not normal for city to do that to a liverpool team like that is that we normally can't do that at all. Like usually we find other ways to get through their press because their press is generally very good. Like, you know, Liverpool under Klopp, it's hard to break them down. Um, and, but once you do break them down, then you can kind of, you, you can find some space, but their pressing from the front has been excellent really ever since Klopp has been there. And for us to do it multiple times in the first five minutes, first 10 minutes, I knew that this could get ugly because it was just too easy. And Liverpool rely on that pressing so much to nick some goals, uh, you know, nick some counterattack, but not even just counterattacking, just to get the ball back. I mean, I don't think people I, – I know – Klopp is known for his gig and pressing and counterattacking and all that, but Liverpool usually have the ball more than everyone else. I mean, that's Liverpool were the first team to outpossess a Pep Guardiola team in the Premier League. Like they, they still love their possession. What was their possession in this game? Was it 33%? 31%. 31%. Jesus. 31%. And it was actually, um, I looked it up. It is the worst possession they have ever had under Jurgen Klopp. Wow. There you go. Ever. Like, in what, seven years he's been there? Worst possession they've ever had under him. Wow. Um, And also, their worst um, expected goal total in roughly three years. Wow. So... And and before the game... Before the game... We'll get into Liverpool more later on, but... Yeah. Before the game, we we Yeah, I mean, we, we knew... We said we have to dominate them in midfield, right? So as soon as you look at the lineup and you see an our lineup versus their lineup, and you look at the midfield, you go, we have to win the midfield battle. And if we do win the midfield battle, we're going to have total control of the game, which is what we did. And then you have John Stones doing that phenomenal role where he comes inside. You basically have an overload in midfield, right? So uh, you have to dominate them. Like, and it makes sense that we did dominate them, but they couldn't, they couldn't even get a finger on us. And that's why that, that's yeah, why that I mean, first even goal was so beginning. frustrating. That's why that first goal it, was so frustrating. And I think that's that's not normal when we play Liverpool. Like normally when Teddy no. play Liverpool, we're toe to toe with them. It is not like they're nicking goals against the run of play. It is 
generally the score line is fair when we play. Correct. They yeah. beat us one nil earlier in the season. That was probably fair for that game. Or last year, two two both games. Those were probably fair, you know, fair yeah. results, and they were really good matches. This one, I immediately thought, like, this is completely against the run of play, but completely. And <laughs> I'm not as harsh on you uh, with Akanji. I, like, yeah, he's six inches uh, back, but it's Diaz and Ake didn't even track the run. Um, That's true. And I think somebody should have. But then on top of that, also, like, Ake is trying to close down Diogo Jota in the box. Like, that's his number one priority for him not to get a shot off. So, you know, for, like, and Salah is, like, streaking from the halfway line. It's not like there's somebody else in the box and he's squaring it to him. Yeah, no one's covered Salah's run, to be fair, either. Yeah, so I'm not as harsh on Akanji. I think he did fine, but it was more of leading up to that where he had to essentially do some latch-stitch defending. And, you know, Akanji's had some... um, some lapses this year, but I don't, I do think that, you know, the fan base as a whole has been tougher on him and he's played like, he's very good. He's played almost every game for us this season. And <laughs> I never expected that to happen at all. I mean, I, was like, I, was like, I thought he was going to be the fifth center back and he'll play some games, but that yeah. was it. I was looking at his minutes played um, this season in 2023, including international minutes. He's played 3,300 minutes. He's got a lot of minutes under his legs this season. A lot. Yeah, and he's been brilliant. Like, like I cannot believe that like I said, he I, I, was signed just, from Dortmund for 15 million pounds. <laughs> like I said, Kanji's first goal for City will be a Champions League final. <laughs> it's crazy. <That's> like, <laughs> And I have friends. I have a friend who's a big Dortmund fan, and he just thought, like, yeah, Kanji's, when he came at first, I thought, well, Remember, we're signing this guy for 15 million pounds. He's going to be our fifth center back. So, like, don't expect too much out of him. Expect yeah. him to be a good squad player, essentially. Yeah. Um, but don't expect too much out of him. And my yeah. friend kind of echoed that. Like, Akanji's been kind of up and down at Dortmund. You can see some talent, but he looks legitimately world-class at City. Yeah. I, and I think, it's crazy. Yeah, I think, I, I think Akanji's been, in a way, lucky with the minutes he's got at City. Because, look, I think the way it started, we got him in because we knew Laporte was going to be out till the World Cup, right? So I, th- I feel like they got him in as a as a kind of like a precaution or a, you know, knowing that we're going to have centre-back injuries um, because Laporte's already out. And then if you lose one more, then you're down to two centre-backs, which is not sustainable, especially with the amount of games we had in the, in the first half of the season before the World Cup. And especially because we <laughs> didn't have a left back. <laughs> that is. So right, they so, said, let's bring in an extra center back. Yeah, so they brought in an extra defender, right, just to, to mitigate that risk. But what, what ended up happening was Laporte stayed injured up till basically after the World Cup, right? So you had that, and then I think Walker went down, Diaz went down, Stones had an injury. So like, we had a lot of injuries. A lot of people have forgotten how many injuries we've had to our back line this season. Um, and I think we've played like 20 defensive lineups, right? So it's... The evidence is there, and I think because he's been so consistent playing, he kind of gets the the benefit of doubt from Pep. I feel like to continue to get into the lineup because he's just been consistent all all season. So he's, you know, I think people really think he's had the bad games, 
but he they forget that he's had the good games as well because he's basically played every game. So he's been part of the squad the entire entire season, I'd say. Um, while like Laporte, Diaz, Stones, Walker, and Ake have all had multiple times out of the team due to injury, while while Kanji's been the only one that's been fit the entire time. So. Yeah, I think that's why they signed him too. Is they? Yes. I think Pep knew, like, okay, with these guys in my back line, it seems like somebody's going to be injured at all times. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's pretty rare for everyone on that back line to be healthy. So he just wanted some added depth, and it worked out. And now Akanji is one of the first names on the team sheet, it seems like. Like, you know, especially with Stones playing well and where he plays um yeah and you know i'll I'll talk about that more in tactics talk because i do have a theory on that but so i've got a quick question for you before you move on did you think yeah did you think liverpool should have started nunez were you surprised nunez didn't start well i heard he was coming off an injury Uh, okay maybe that wasn't true um but i heard he so i think that might be why because okay. um, I, I feel like he would hurt us more than either Yota or Gakpo. I, I, Gakpo, I think is, I think Nunez would have probably started over Jota. It seems like Gakpo, they're trying to make the new Firmino. And he, he does have that similar type of skill set as Firmino, yeah. where he's more he's, of a distributor, false nine type of player. And Nunez is more of a Sadio Mane type of player. As well, he's, he's a good presser, a lot of speed as well. Yeah, feel, and he's I feel like, like missing that in this game. Yes, uh, yeah. So, how beautiful was City's first goal? I mean, like when when that one came in, did it? How did you feel? Did you feel like okay, we're back in this, or did you feel like okay, the floodgates are going to open? Or okay, so you think? before I go to the goal, right? We need to go a minute before the goal, right? And we need to Jack chat. Grealish, Jack. Jack fucking Grealish with his absolute games. I, I feel like that if Liverpool score there and Jack doesn't do that run to stop so I actually feel the game would have went 100% different. Because a 1-0 off a bad counter is, you say, okay, it's very easy to come back from. But being down 2-0 against the run of play where Liverpool go, okay, we've got a 2-0 lead. Now City have to come at us hard to get back in the game. Um, it kind of gets a little harder. It changes the dynamic of the game. So him doing that run to save the goal and then <laughs> a minute later set up the first goal with an assist. I think I think the first goal was more a Gundogan thing than a than a Jack Grealish. But for him to actually assist the second goal, the first goal, sorry, and do a game-saving run literally a minute before that, wow. Like, you got to give Jack Grealish his props. He's, you know, we've... I've criticized Jack Grealish a lot this this year, start start the year, um, but since the World Cup around that December January mark, he's been in the form of his life, and he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet right now. And you can say fair enough, you know he's keeping he he he'll keep Phil Foden out of the team if Phil Foden doesn't start on the right. If 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 Pep's going for a player to start on the left wing, he's going with Jack Grealish, right? And that's is huge, huge complimentary to Jack Grealish's form over the last few months and the way he's playing. He is giving us something very, very different to a traditional winger. But his work rate, his oh, like 
brilliant. I, like that's the most you can say about what he did in that to 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 stop Salah scoring basically. Um, you know, I, I feel like <clears throat> I feel like Salah could have laid it off. Was it Yota running on the other side? Yeah. You know, basically closed off Salah. He, Salah couldn't do nothing. And that's, yeah, he closed it off and closed off the <clears throat> angle. Like it was great. Yeah, like geez. And then so, to set up and to set up to get the assist on, on the first goal. That was a beautiful goal, by the way. Like I think we had it reminded me of like the typical city goal where you do a few passes, you <laughs> you open it up and then basically pass down the byline and then you, you get a goal straight off straight off it. Um and Jack really played it perfectly to Alvarez for him to to just basically tap it in. Um so yeah, it, it was good to get that goal ten minutes straight after the, they scored. Because um, I, th- I feel like if we went into halftime at one nil, kind of you start getting a bit nervous. Um, but going into halftime one one one, you just go, okay, we're still in control of the game. It's still law. You know, go out and go go out and execute the, the second half the way the way we did the first half, and it should fall away eventually. Because um, I feel like Liverpool would basically didn't have anything after that, right? Yeah. Yeah, they they honestly they didn't really offer much the entire game compared to what Liverpool yeah. normally offers. But yeah, it, I, I second like, half even less so. I feel like they only had maybe three to four chances all game. So the Salah goal, the that Salah run, which obviously doesn't show up on on the XG with the one that Jack really stopped, and then they had a couple chances in the second half after we scored the second goal. Um. But otherwise, they didn't really have much. I, I, I don't they weren't. Remember. They weren't even good chances, though. Like it's not no, like they, they were no, no, they clear cut they or anything like that. No, they weren't at um, all. <clears throat> so let's get into tactics talk a little bit, especially when I'm talking about the first goal because this you was wanna, a tactics goal. You, you don't want to talk about Jack Grealish for a bit. Well, he's gonna fit into this. So okay, all right, all right. He's no gonna worries. fit into tactics talk because, like, because I, I never every- love Jack Grealish, so I, I I was looking forward to seeing you like give him the props. <laughs> oh, I trust me. There's no lack of love for Jack Grealish on my end. But okay, so the first goal is really indicative of the tactics and the execution of both because we played right through them again. And what we were doing, especially in the beginning of the game, is that we were bringing down one of our eights uh, wide to help with the buildup. They were pressing in basically a 4-4-2. And so to help with the buildup, we wanted to drag out one of their central midfielders because they were more in a 4-4-2. Harvey Elliott played wide right. Well, at least a 4-4-2 in their press. So Harvey Elliott played wide right, Salah and Gakpo played centrally, Jota played wide left, and then you had Henderson and Fabinho centrally. So when you play the 3-2, you don't really, like they can try to deny your Stones and Rodri in this case, right? So if you bring one of the eights wide, that forces somebody out of position. Because that means Jota can't press up on Akanji. Or that means that um, Elliot can't press up on Nathan Ake. Or if they do, somebody will get pulled out of position because there's going to be an open space there. So in the very beginning, De Bruyne was getting in that space and Henderson was following him out there. 
And you could tell Klopp didn't like this because then what it did is it opened up a ton of space in the middle and Stones and Rodri were just easily able to fill that and we were able to progress up the field pretty easily. And that's how we were breaking their press a lot. Um, and then you could see they tried something different. And what they tried to do is that happened a couple minutes before the first goal where De Bruyne was kind of taking up that space um, wide right and, and kind of at the same level as the double pivot. And they got it out to him and he flicked it on to Mares because what Klopp did is he said, okay, in that position, I want the fullback to press up and the fullback to press that guy. So he had Robertson go to press De Bruyne, but Robertson was too slow to get there, and De Bruyne was able to flick it on to Mares. And next thing you know, Mares is now one-on-one with Van Dyke with a ton of space. And that happened a couple minutes before the goal, and the exact same thing happened leading up to the goal. So we were building up for the back. They got it out to De Bruyne, and De Bruyne was getting closed down by Robertson, but Robertson was too slow. And he was able to flick it on to Mares. Mares is running at the box, one-on-one with Van Dyke, Easily able to cut inside. Van Dyke did really nothing to stop him. Gets it over to Gundogan, who had the beautiful turn over to Grealish, who has a perfect uh, square in the box. So it was well worked by everyone. I, You know, everybody's giving Grealish the credit because of his assist, but it was well worked by everyone from the back. The buildup was perfect to yeah, mind flipping it a on. Very nice run, very very yeah. nice run. But Gund- yeah. Gundogan's turn as well was perfect, perfect. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was perfect, and the weight on the pass, everything like yeah. from back to front, it was so well worked. And yeah, I feel like we haven't seen a goal like that in a while. Yeah, I feel like Mars and Gundogan get most of the credit for that goal. Mars's run, and then you know Gundogan's turn, and then pass, and then. Basically, Grealish and Alvarez just had to do the finishing, the finishing touches. But it, it was a, it was a very, very nice worked city goal, I'd say. Yeah, and like from, and like you said, we, have, we haven't, yeah, we haven't seen that in a while, I'd say. Yeah, that was it was absolutely beautiful. I I loved it, loved it, and we did it a couple times this game, which was, uh, well, we worked it well a couple times, but a couple of the goals we scored. And it's crazy because against Leipzig, what was it? None of Holland's goals were assisted at all. So they were all kind <laughs> of like right. scrappy goals. That's this right. wasn't scrappy at all. This was like just beautifully working passes and just like you said earlier, to, hot to knife be, through to, butter. To, to be fair, Leipzig doesn't have the best right back in the world who um, can't defend. <laughs> <laughs> But I saw, I saw, I forgot who it was, but some some Liverpool content creator had Trent Alexander Arnold as the best right back in the history of the Premier League <laughs> when they were ranking them. When they were ranking the you know the yeah. best player in every position. But put that in the, the Premier bin. League. Put 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 that in the bid. Put it alongside the um the um the the article from the Anfield Agenda. I think it was saying. A game of two halves, mate. What game were you watching? It wasn't a game of two yeah, what halves. What half? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was 90 minutes of City football, and you guys did your best to try to deal with it. That's what that was. <laughs> Get in yeah. the bin right next to that one. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's just... I think it's delusion at its finest that they... Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're slowly fading into irrelevance, and they're, they're not dealing with it very well. No. So... 
Um, let's move on to the second half. Yep. Was this the most dominant half all year by City or maybe even ever? What did you think? <sighs> I, would, I, I don't know if all year. Um, I know, we've had some very, very good second halves this year. We've, we've been a second half team this season, which is strange. We're usually the opposite. We usually are, we, we're usually a first half team. Um, but this season, we're actually a second half team. Um, so you can remember the Tottenham game, we went into halftime at 2-0, scored four goals, absolutely dominated in that second half. So we have had a lot of um, good second halves this season. Um, but what was impressive about this second half um, was the dynamic of the game going into halftime at being at one all, where you knew we were dominating from the first half. So we, had, we were still playing very well in the first half. Usually we don't play well in the first half and then we come out guns blazing the second but all we did was continue the same way we were playing. The only thing that changed was we were actually scoring now. Um, and Liverpool couldn't get a touch on us, right? So, again, it was the same thing from the first half. We were absolutely tearing their press into shreds. And I think, was it... Um, did we score right after... Was it the third goal? Or the fourth goal? I can't remember right now. But the third or fourth goal where Trent was running like a headless stook... <laughs> After, after uh, trying to press, uh, and we would, and our players were just passing it around like so. It, it seems so casual the way we we're passing it. Usually in a in a high intensity press, we're a bit like uh, frantic. I feel, but we we're just so relaxed. It was just like, yep, we'll just pass it here. We'll just pass it here. We'll just pass it here, and we're just gonna pass right through you. <laughs> and then we're just gonna put it over the top, and we're gonna go score on the other end or get a, a very get a very good chance. It was. Very strange to see. So I, I can see why you're saying, you know, was that the most dominant second half? Um, I wouldn't know if it's the most dominant half by City, but it was certainly up there. But it was more about the manner in which we did it. That's what was more impressive to me. Um, because, and I think once we scored the third goal, we were just relaxed. Like 60 minutes onwards, we were just passing it around and just saying, come. You know, <laughs> the crowd was going, <laughs> was doing little ollies every time we passed the ball. Come on, we're doing that against Liverpool. <laughs> That's fantastic! Fantastic! What else can you ask for more? Ask for more in a game like that. Yeah, I mean, it was like you said, dominating from start to finish. I mean, we were basically like they. I think they just knew at that point they couldn't really get to us. Yep, like they could. They just couldn't do anything, and once it got to. 3-1, you thought, okay, well, let's just try to kill it off. And, you know, hopefully they don't nick one back and then start gaining some momentum because Liverpool can still kind of come in waves. But that yeah, wave never came. No, and didn't. once we the made, fourth we, goal came, it was over. We made sure the wave never came by, like, the passing. And, and, and this is something that we should mention, you know, the team gave a 10 out of 10 performance. There was no bad performances on the pitch from any players, right? So everyone, mm -hmm. like, usually you might have one player doing a bit of mispasses or something like that, but in, in that game, it was, you know, pinpoint passing the entire game. Um, and I feel like as soon as we scored the second goal, and we'll talk a little bit about the second goal, it settled the nerves for everyone straight away. You know, we, we took the lead. We were in control. Um, the scoreline became indicative of how we're playing and how Liverpool are playing. You know, going going one one, you're a bit frustrated because like we're actually the better team today, and we have been the entire game. So 
you say it's not really fair for us to be one all. But then as soon as we score, you go, okay, now now the scoreline is indicative of actually how we're performing on the pitch. And then from there, you just had total control. I just want to talk about a little bit about that second goal. You know, Alvarez was fantastic in that build-up. What a pass. Like, his, his range of passing is a bit underrated. Yeah, he's a very good – like, he is more of a false nine type of striker. Like, he can drop deeper, and he's very good with the ball. Like, he, the way he can dribble, and even in tight spaces for the third goal, like, just dribbling around the box. I mean, he he offers something a little different to Holland. Than oh, much different. Much By different. the way, does not take anything away. Like, Holland is incredible and does a lot of things better than Julian Alvarez. But Alvarez offers something a little different, and that was – Interesting to see him in this game starting to come into his own because we know he can score and we yeah. know he's a good player. So to see him start really adapting into this team is really fun because, and I think he really helped City shut the game off at the end. Yeah, he did because he, he's been a lot better this season. So if you look at earlier this season, he his passes weren't as crisp. Um, the winner, like he had that he had he had a bit of a a hard touch if that makes sense, where he's you know wasn't yeah, as heavy smooth. touch. A bit of a heavy touch, I should say. Yeah, that's the right word. Um, and he's gotten a lot better since the start of the season. And you look at the way he's passing now, it's so much better. And I feel like, I have a feeling next season, Pep's going to try fit both Harlan and Alvarez into a lineup somehow. He'll, 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 he'll do a slight change to the lineup, but I think he might try fit both of them in at the same time. How he does it, I'm not sure, but I'm, I feel like he might eventually get to the point where he's like, I need both of these players in the team because they yeah, so different. it's very and, possible. Yeah, he's like, he's like a Jesus, but who scores a little bit more. Bit, bit more he's a little bit, bit better of a passer than Jesus, too. Yeah, Jesus is better with a little bit better pressing and um, link-up, but I'd say he's Alvarez is a better scorer as well. I, I'm more confident with Alvarez taking a shot in the <laughs> when he's in the box than, than I was with Jesus. Of course. Yeah. Of course. That's not even a <laughs> debate. Um, and I think one thing that he helped, like, with his link-up play and with him on the ball in the second half, like, remember when we played false nine for the last couple of years and we go up 1-0 or 2-0 and then we just choke the game off completely? Like, they don't even have a touch. We're kind of content with a 1-0, and it's like a training ground for the next. We did that a lot with United, remember, when we beat United <laughs> yeah. 2-0, but they didn't even have a touch. and. Somebody asked Pep, like, why didn't you go for more goals? And he said, we thought 2-0 was enough. And then we just got to – like, that's what it felt like yesterday. It felt yeah. like – We could have scored more. But, we could have scored more. Yeah, but it felt like once we went up 3-1, it was like, okay, if a goal happens, it happens, but let's just choke the game off. And that's what we did. And they, We've got, it was, got a lot of games coming up, so it was, it was the smart way to manage the game, I'd say. Yeah, and it was just incredibly dominant. And we still scored, even when we choked the game off. So yeah. um, let's move on a little bit. Let's let's kind of talk about Liverpool. What did you think of Liverpool? Because, you know, there's always the debate of, like, was City that good or was Liverpool that bad? Usually it's always both. It's never one thing. So what did I you think-, think of Liverpool watching them? Because we've seen them so much. Like, we kind of know what they do. They what did you think a, of them? 
so it's they've had they're having a very strange season. That's probably the best way to start off with, right? So their season is incredibly strange. They've looked absolutely amazing, and then they, the next week they'll look absolutely terrible. Um, and not only that, but it's home and away form are polar opposites. They are third on the home table, third behind Arsenal and Manchester City, right? With I think two games in hand on Arsenal in terms. So they can if they win all their home games, they'll actually go over Arsenal on the on the home table, right? So their home form is absolutely amazing. Right? They're they're playing like they usually do at home. They've had a couple bad results at, at Anfield, but overall, their home form is really, really good. But their away form is absolutely terrible. That was their, I think, ninth loss or eighth loss in the Premier League away from home at the Etihad. So they're such a different team. Like, they absolutely tonked Manchester United 7-0 three weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. And then they lost to and- Bournemouth the next week 1-0 away. And then they come to the Etihad and they lose again as well and, and look absolutely terrible. So they're such a strange team. Um, however, in saying that, if you're playing that badly away from home, then something's wrong either in the tactics or the attitude or the coaching. Um, so it's a bit it's a bit hard to understand what is so wrong with them. Um, you, you, what are they missing? Is it something not right? Is it a coaching thing? Is it a player personnel thing? Naturally, most people would say it's the midfield. They've got a they've got a midfield problem, right? So Thiago's you know injured. I'd say fifty percent of the time, right? So that's always an issue. Um, and then you've got Fabinho, whose legs have fallen off. And then you've and then you're left with Henderson, who's about forty, <laughs> Milner, who's about forty as well. I'm exaggerating, obviously, um, but these players are are not fit to play in a midfield trio, where the midfield trio is usually about pressing and about defensive work and about you know control, right? So they don't have that right now in midfield. If your midfield is not performing in the club team, then everything else suffers, right? Your backline suffers. Said it's your attack because you don't have any connection. And if you look at most of the goals that Liverpool have scored, it's usually over the top, from the right from the back right to the front. They kind of the entire midfield. Um, so I'd say that's what's that's what the main main issue with them is is the midfield. But it's still hard to tell. You know, like I said, they it's they're such a strange team this year. It's it's really really weird. You can't you can't I can't put my finger on exactly what they. Full issue is, but like I said, it, it, maybe it is the midfield. So I'm I'm gonna dive into what I think their issue is because I think I at least have a sense of what their issues are. So first thing is Sadio Mane was incredibly important in their pressing from the front, and his loss is really important. And it seemed like at times the newer guys they just they don't know yet or they they're not they're not there yet and they might get there who knows but they're not Sadio Mane in his pressing is incredible like he's that good and they really okay. miss that and the way and i think he papered over a lot of cracks i think they've had midfield problems for years but when you have such good pressing from the front it makes everybody behind you look better and um and a better organization as well so, you know, and Jurgen Klopp, another thing is he is, I think he's shown this season that he is 
somewhat dogmatic. Like people say that Pep is dogmatic. I think that's bullshit. I think that's he adapts to anything. Rubbish. He's Pep- he's very adaptable. And it seems like Klopp is dogmatic because he's going to play this, you know, heavy metal football, gigan pressing, high intensity um, style. And he might not have the players for it. And I don't think he has the players for it this year. Now, I think that's both a fault of him and of Liverpool's board to not kind of see this coming. Like, they should have seen it coming. Everybody sort of saw it coming. And they weren't proactive. Now, this summer in the market, they're going to have to be reactive. So, um, that's, I think, part of it. And I think Klopp – because here's a perfect example of a big difference between Jurgen Klopp and for another great coach, Thomas Tuchel. Last year, City battered Chelsea twice. They won, won nothing, but it wasn't even close. I don't think Chelsea even had a shot on target in either game. or Maybe they had one. Yeah. And in one of the games, Stones and Laporte played center back, and Chelsea high-pressed them. And within the first 10 minutes, City tore through them. I mean, tore through them multiple times and had good chances, didn't score them, but tore through them and had good chances, Tuchel immediately abandoned it and said, that I can't let this happen. And so everybody thought Chelsea was kind of, quote-unquote, parking the bus. Well, it's because when he pressed, City was tearing right through them. So he was adaptable enough to say, like, look, we need to sit back a little bit because we were just getting destroyed. And I don't think Klopp has that gear in him. Like it, it's I just agree. like we're we're playing my way and that's it and he's, that works he's really gonna, he's well. A, he's Plan A manager with no Plan B. Yeah, and that works really really well when you have the players to execute your vision to a T. And every obviously every coach wants the players to execute how they want to play football. But when things weren't going their way, there was it seemed like there were minor adjustments, but there were no real adjustments. It wasn't like hey, let's sit back a little more. It's like, oh, let's keep getting torn up on the press. And that's another thing is like their midfield, because their press from the front isn't as good, their midfield gets more exposed and their defense gets more exposed. And Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, aren't. when your defense gets that exposed, you better have very good defenders. Like very good, like Juan Basaka type fullbacks. And... They don't. Like, Robertson is decent defensively, but he's been pretty bad this year. Alexander-Arnold is shocking defensively. <laughs> he sucks, man. Like, go back Wait, and watch on, that fourth he's, goal. He's the best right back ever created. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Go watch that fourth goal. Like, I'm so happy that Jack Grealish got his goal as the fourth goal. He didn't, but that he didn't, goal, he didn't track back Grealish. If that was a normal fullback, he would have tracked Grealish's run, and Grealish probably doesn't score there. Yeah, Grealish, like he, there was Grealish no actually, effort. <laughs> Grealish there was actually, no effort. If you, if you actually watch it back, Grealish actually hesitated before he started running. He goes, like, I think he hesitated because he felt like Trent was going to cover him. And then he's like, oh, hold on. He's not, he's not covering me at all. I'm just going to keep running. <laughs> and he keeps running. And Trent's just like jogging back. He does that little jog back where he expects someone to clean up his mess. And it's like, yep, yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the open shot. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, Trent completely gave up. Like, he... Because even, okay, I know he, he doesn't have, like, a ton of pace or anything, but at least try to make it a little difficult on Grealish. Nah, it, it's you know not what a, I mean? Like it's not a pace thing. It's, a, it's, a, 
It's effort. Yeah, because like, if you watch it, he just gave up. He didn't even try. And like, yeah, maybe he wasn't going to completely cut off that that pass into Grealish, but he could have at least tried to make it a little more difficult for Grealish. Like when when Grealish just has a wide open shot in the middle of the box, that's that's on you, man. And that was appalling defense. Like we would all, if that was Kyle Walker, we would be hammering him right now yeah 100 we'd be furious with him right now and i think it's kind of i think after the second goal you could kind of see liverpool's faces it was like they gave up and i think klopp's gonna have that problem and maybe that help is helped with squad turnover but that team looked like they gave up and they played like they gave up you know they it looked like after that second goal went in and you see Virgil van Dyke's face on the big screen looks like what the heck just happened. They look like they saw a ghost and they looked like for the first time in a long time that they couldn't play with us. It's been so many years where they could play, they could go toe to toe with us and they couldn't. And they, I think the look on their face was like, they knew they couldn't. And you know, you're at the Etihad, which is, was an incredible environment. It just looked like an avalanche, and they just kind of knew, like, we're, we can't level. Yeah, this isn't this this team's on another level than us, and we are not on the level that we used to be. And I honestly think those are bigger problems with Liverpool is an aging squad from front to back, not just the midfield, yeah, um, I, and I also the the just the mentality. It seems like the the quote unquote mentality monsters. I don't know what mentality they're seeing, but that mentality is that shit. Terrible. It that went terrible. it went to Bayern with Sadio Mane is where it went. <laughs> Look, I think I think Liverpool one of their issues, and I think there's probably a weakness for, um, and, and, you know this comes back down to when people were saying who's the better manager, Pep or Klopp. I think one of Klopp's biggest weaknesses is he's very loyal to his core players, and what that ends up happening is so we're in the seventh year of Klopp. His team hasn't changed that much. This is probably the first time his team has changed from that winning team, right? So, you know, that team that won the Champions League, the team that won the Premier League in 2020, it's kind of still the same core. It hasn't changed much. You still got Trent, you still got Robertson, you still got Van Dyke, you still got Matip, you still got uh, Fabinho, you still got uh, Allison, you still got uh, Salah. It's the same core. It hasn't changed. And you can't expect the same core of players to go year after year, year after year. And compete the highest level, and so that's something Pep has been trying to do. He's, he's he's shifted players out multiple times now, and he's rebuilt our team multiple times. And this, you know, I, I think going into the summer, and you know, if you if you listen to our transfer podcast, we know this is the the second phase of the of this rebuild, right? So this this season we've swapped in Haaland, we've swapped in Alvarez, we've gotten rid of Jesus, Sterling, Zinchenko, now Cancelo, now Laporte. Um, maybe Gondohan and Bernard, we, we're, we're shifting the team because we're getting ready for that next, for that next um, core of players. Um, but we've, we're always doing it slowly. We've always, we've always been very good at shifting in the right players at the right time, you know, or getting in that player just before that other brilliant player is either too old or his contract expires. You know, we've done it with David Silva. We've done it with Fernandinho. We've done it with Yaya Toure. We've done it with Aguero. We've done it with so many different players, company, etc. The only year that we didn't do it probably was the year that company left and we went to a season with three centre-backs and we suffered badly for it. Liverpool have done the same thing. They suffered badly in midfield 
And that's something, a weakness of how they build their team. And everyone was talking about, you know, Liverpool's always going to be, you know, competing with City. But they've only done, they've only built this team once. And it's worked once. They haven't proved that they can do it twice. We have. I think that's something that's different. And then going back to your point earlier about is Pep, um, you know, people say Pep is not, is, you know, one-dimensional. Pep is not one-dimensional. One did. He has changed the way he plays multiple times. He adjusts his tactics to the players that he's got. And that's what that's what makes a great manager. A great manager always knows how to play to the strengths of his team and not trying to fit his players into his own tactics. He's not stubborn just to keep playing. The only the only core the core principle that Pep always sticks to is having possession and sticking and, and playing around other teams. Right? That's the only core principle. But in terms of positioning, in terms of players, in terms of profile, he will keep changing um, he'll keep changing his tactics based on what he's got. And we've seen it this year, right? He's, play, he's playing a completely different system to what he was playing last year, right? Yeah. And, 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 if, it, you go, and if you go back four years ago when we were done the Centurion season, we played a completely different setup. You know, two pacey wingers running down. We had that classic city goal where we always keep passing it down the ball. But we've changed. We, we keep adapting. And that's, that is something that we need to give credit to Pep Guardiola that he does very, very well. He adapts very well to the team he has. You know, going from Fernandinho to Rodri is changes the dynamic of your team. You can't play the same way that with Fernandinho than you do with Rodri. They're, they're, they're different players. Fernandinho was more of a destroyer in midfield and he can run. He had a bit more pace. He had a bit more um, dynamism in that midfield. But Rodri's brilliant in his own right. It's just how you fit the team around him to make the tactics work. I don't think Klopp does that very well. He never has done it well, and he's never proved that he's done it well. So now that the team's changing, suddenly Liverpool are not so good anymore. Yeah, I think it is honestly, it's just as much a failure of Liverpool as an organization than it is Klopp because they don't seem willing to spend much money on the squad or they spend it in the wrong places. And I don't know who's at no, fault they, for they, that. They, it's they probably spend... a mixture of all of it. Um, but... I, I, I got I to gotta say, Sam, sorry. Um, I don't think it's a spending thing. And this is something that everyone gets caught up with because they feel like they don't spend. They spend a shitload on wages, right? They, their money goes to wages. That's that's how, that's their, it's just a different way of building their team, right? They go on the wages side rather than the transfer side. They've got the highest wages in the Premier League. They've got more, they pay more wages than Manchester City right now, right? That, that was last season. They paid more wages than Manchester City. So they do pay. The problem is, is they, they're not as forward thinking as other teams. Especially Manchester City. They're trying to compete with Manchester City. You've got to be as forward-thinking. They're not as forward-thinking. Well, yeah, it's more of to recruitment as well. Like, just their recruitment, it's like when they sit down and say, these are these are the positions of need every summer. They're more reactive than they are proactive. And it, it even was like this years ago. Like, when remember when they signed Virgil van Dijk? It's because they couldn't defend worth shit. And they needed Virgil van Dijk. Like, it's not... It wasn't a position of depth. It was because they were getting torn apart week after week. And yep. then what did they do? They spent a record fee on Virgil van Dyke. Now, and then right after, Loris Karius has a shocker in the Champions League final. And what do they do? They spend a world record fee on a keeper. So They're very, they're it, very reactive. They're, yeah, their, their recruitment policy is more reactive than it is proactive. And that hurts them a lot. Yeah, they, they always they always go with the mantra of, oh, let's see if this works with the players we've got because I don't want, like you said, I, I guess this may be 
maybe this is where your point comes in of how they don't want to spend money. They'll try with the, the shitty option first to see if it works. Um, because if they've, it's, it's, they've had it work for them a couple times, right? You know, Robertson, Trent Alexander, um, Milner, Henderson. They've had these players work at a cheaper option. Even like Salah. Salah was like 30 million. Like you're not going to find a player of Salah's caliber for 30 million ever again. It's not going to happen. They need to but get it's like the they, they didn't even try to do that though. Like it's not like they signed a couple of midfielders for 20, 30 million pounds. Like they didn't. They just didn't sign any midfielders. They're trying to they go for the Ar- big signing. Yeah, they well, they got Ar- Arthur on loan from Juventus, <laughs> who gets terrible. injured all the time, anyways. So, like, oh, you know who we're that was, get that, to was help Tiago is, that was like, a baffling. is that was a baffling decision. <laughs> yeah, and like they, I think Tiago was a decent signing, but you know he's injury prone, so you can't rely on him to play every single game. And so, there's just a lot of a lot of problems that are kind of coming to a head all at once with Liverpool and. Um, they're they're gonna need a lot of uh, does, does a lot Jude of Bellingham, changes this summer. Does Jid Bellingham fix their midfield? You reckon he can fix a lot? I don't think he can fix that midfield on his own. That team needs needs three players. I'll, I'll I'll put it this way: you know, that team needs open heart surgery, and Jude Bellingham would be a band aid. So yeah, they're gonna need to do open heart surgery. And so Jude Bellingham might make obviously who will make them better. Like they need a really good midfielder. Jude Bellingham is a really good midfielder. They need more than that. But so obviously he will make them better. Like he's going to be better than a 37 year old James Milner. <laughs> but um, he's not going to pay. Like if you think that they're just going to sign Jude Bellingham and next thing you know, they're going to start competing near 100 points again with City, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So. It's going to be up to Liverpool to see whether they're willing to spend the money because, like, they, I mean, theoretically, they could just go drop 250 or 300 million this summer and buy Jude and buy other players and revamp their team. But do you really see them doing that? Because I don't. And, you know, we've seen reports from Paul Joyce, who is more or less the better Liverpool reporter, saying that. Liverpool is very conflicted on what they need and that they might not be willing to pay for Jude Bellingham. And that also the more this season goes south, the less they want to pay 120 million for one player because they know that the squad will need more to be competitive. Yeah. And if they don't I know make that Champions Paul League, Joyce just wrote about that. Yeah. If they don't uh, make Champions, Champions League. League. Yeah. So. You know, if they somehow picked it up for the rest of the season and got themselves into the top four, they could maybe convince themselves, like, okay, Jude Bellingham's all we need. But I don't think they're going to get there, personally. Um, And they might, but who knows? And I just don't think that's going to happen. So they're going to need a lot more than that. And I think they're seeing that this season. I think they saw that yesterday or you know against city like this is a team this is the level they need to get to this is the level they've been at and they just got destroyed like they just got and same thing happened with brighton like a couple weeks ago brighton had like 70 percent possession on or whatever not 70 but 65 percent or something crazy 
Liverpool is they're falling down and they need to really revamp this team. And I don't think Jude on his own does that. I agree. Going going back to City, who was your and, and the game, I'd say. Um, who was your man of the match? It's tough. It's really tough, but You're gonna say Jack Grealish, aren't you? <laughs> I honestly won't. Like I think oh, really? Grealish has been great, and I think I almost texted you right before the game and said Grealish is going to absolutely rinse Trent Alexander. I told you, it doesn't, doesn't count. Didn't. You have to make the prediction I, full. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do it. I wish I did. And But I'm not going to put Grealish there because I think, like, I think the buildup and getting to him is what really made the difference. And then Grealish just kind of showed what he can do. But he could always do that. You know what I mean? Like, I think if he's always given those opportunities, he's always going to look that good. I think I would honestly give it as a unit to the entire back line or the, the quote unquote back five of um, Ake, Akanji, Diaz, Stones, and Rodri because their buildup was perfect basically the entire game. And it needed to be. And I know Liverpool is not at the level they were, but. Against that pressing team, all it takes is a couple misplaced passes and Liverpool's up to nothing. And they were perfect. Every pass was perfect. Their movement was perfect. And it looked so easy because that back line was so good. Yeah. I, I'd have to give to the entire team. You can't, I can't look at a single player and say he didn't do well. You know, I wanted a masterclass from Kevin De Bruyne. He gave us a classic, classic Kevin De Bruyne game. Gundogan was absolutely brilliant. Alvarez, you know, everyone was worried how Alvarez would, you know, be howling out, how's Alvarez going to play? Is this a big game for Alvarez? Yes, it was. And he done perfectly well. <laughs> Grealish did amazing things the entire game and then game-saving goal on one and assist on the other, scores another goal. Look, the whole team was absolutely brilliant. Front to back, passing was crisp, rarely made any mistakes. Um, you can't ask for more than a t- from that from a team like if, if if you go into a game where I think this was like a must win game and you say we had to win that game to stay in the title race and your team drops that performance you've got to give them the props the entire team did fantastic so I don't I can't I can't like you I can't pick a man of the match it's just the entire team yeah yeah I agree and um, just just another thing is how do you feel about the title race now I feel pretty confident I know most Fans aren't, but I'm not. <laughs> Arsenal, you know, Arsenal still—they've never been in this position. And even like City, when we were in this position for the first time in 1819, when Liverpool pressed us, because the Centurion season we ran away with it. So mm-hmm. the first time we really had to deal with this was in 1819. We'd already been champions by that point, and we'd already been on long winning streaks by that point. Arsenal has not. This is uncharted territory, and they're an incredibly young team. I think it would be naive to believe that Arsenal could go the rest of the season without dropping points. They play in Anfield on Sunday, and if there's one thing we've seen from Liverpool this season is they are incredibly hot and cold. Like I, they're much better at Anfield. Yeah, would you? Would it surprise you at all if they went? If Arsenal went to Anfield and lost two to one to no, Liverpool, it, it, it wouldn't it surprise anyone. It wouldn't surprise me, and this is this is my caveat. So I feel 
so there's only for me there's only a few more games where Arsenal will most likely drop points right and it's Newcastle away Liverpool away um, and they've also got a Brighton home game and they've got so there's like a, there's a full week where they can drop a lot of points or two weeks where they can drop a lot of points they've got like it's they've got a few hard games in there so they've got Liverpool um, at Anfield then right after that I'm not sure who they play they play at home but they should win that game but then they've got a few games in a row there's like Newcastle City Brighton and like a bunch of other teams that are really really tough that's where I think if they're going to lose a title or win a title they'll do it there I feel like if they if they beat Liverpool at Anfield is a huge confidence booster for them and I feel like they'll probably win the league so I feel like we're kind of relying on Liverpool to help us a little bit um but they have a it, much harder schedule than us. They like do. Much, but, if they you look do, at but the teams all, we have, they're all at the bottom of the table. They do, but my, my concern is we've got such a thin squad and we've got a lot of games to play. You know, we've, we've still got an FA Cup semi-final. We've still got Champions League. That's all going to affect how we play. While Arsenal only play once a week, I think their only mid-game, only mid-week game remaining is against City. So that's the only mid-week game they've got for the rest of the season. So, look, the good thing is if, if Liverpool do get a result against them, we're in control. We just need to win out. And, and, I've, and, I, and I know a lot of people have said this, and, and this is where it comes down to. We need to win out every game. The question is, do you see us winning every game from now to the end of the season? That's basically what we need to do, I think, to win the league. We have to actually literally not drop a single point from now to the end of the season. We've got the form. We're playing really, really well, but so is Arsenal. Arsenal's on a seven-game winning streak right now in the Premier League. Um, and what was frustrating with their recent seven-game winning streak is there was two games there they probably should have dropped points, but they didn't. They scored a last-minute winner. Um, they've had a I lot think, of last. I think we're they've, gonna... had a, they've, they've had a lot of last-minute winners. So, like, you look at performance-wise, you feel like okay, they should have dropped points, but they still pin up the result, and that's what's frustrating about the the way they're currently playing, and that's what makes my confidence a bit lower because we're running out of time. They need to start making. They need to start dropping points. And it, it, at the end, it's a results business, right? So. If the results are, you know, they say, okay, they're not performing as well as they have the whole season, but they're still pulling out their three points, credit to them. You know what I mean? So you can't really say much more than that. So I feel like it's going to come down to these next couple of games where they go away to Liverpool. If they drop points there, we're in control. And I think that's a confidence booster for City because we're in control. And that's where, where Arsenal suddenly feel, okay, we're not in control anymore. And that's where the where the pressure of the young squad might like say, oh no, we're not in control anymore. We have to like actually beat City. We have to actually get a result against City at the Etihad or even get a draw. Why City will look at it and go, well, okay, now we're in control. We can actually just go out and from here. That's where it's going to come down to. But I'm, I'm worried about the dynamic of Champions League semi-final. Like there's so many games for us to play and we're running such a thin squad. Such a thin squad. So, this is another thing, though, is Arsenal has an incredibly thin squad as well. Arsenal has a much harder schedule than us, and I know we have midweek games, but... But, I mean, but they don't have any midweek games, so why does it matter? So, squad is? no, it does matter, because they have to start Rob Holding. That's why it matters. <laughs> well, but look... That, like, that, everyone... that matters, and so especially <laughs> against the teams they're playing, they have to go to Newcastle and play. They have to play... They have to go to Brighton, I believe, or even if they have Brighton at home. Brighton look fucking incredible. And 
Chelsea is not because that's a derby. I know Chelsea looks terrible, but that's a that's a derby game. You don't know what can happen there. I, think, I, I know we play Chelsea, Chelsea too. They no, play I Chelsea. I don't think they play Chelsea anymore. They they play Chelsea. So uh, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and then they have West Ham. Oh, they do at West Ham, which is you know probably going to be an easy one. But Newcastle at Newcastle, they have Brighton at home. It, it's they have it's Wolves funny that who are never an easy out. Like they those teams are not bad teams, and for and also remember like. The most important game is for City to beat Arsenal. And if City right. beat Arsenal, all they need is Arsenal to drop, to tie. All they need is a draw from Arsenal. like Or at least City only need to get two points more than them through the rest of the season. And I think City can do that, personally. Look, so, look I, I don't, I'm not doubting City can do it. It's more about Arsenal. It's, it, we've... This is what I've said. Like, I'm waiting for the wheels to fall off at Arsenal, but we're 29 games in. They've played 29 games and the wheels haven't fallen off. That's what's annoying me, right? So it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like everyone's waiting for that typical Arsenal to come in where they drop points or like go on a really, really bad run of form. Their run of bad form actually came when they lost to us against the Etihad. They dropped points the week before at Evan, I think. Then they dropped points. Um, they dropped points somewhere else. I can't remember. They had a one draw. I thought it was Newcastle. It was a zero-zero draw with Newcastle um, at home. So they had like that bad run of form, and then they almost had another game run bad of form where they lost to was a Villa where they scored like two goals in the last five minutes. They've just been lucky with with some some results. But it, like I said, it's results business. And if you're if you're winning games, that's it's a confidence booster. A lot of people look at it and go, "Oh, it's not really a confidence booster to me." But like those last minute winners, we've seen how that affects us as a city team where you get those last minute winners, you know, we've done it in the past, right? It, it gives the team a, a belief that they got to win the league. Um, yeah. Liverpool had those two and they still lost to us. So <laughs> I think I'm not like, I'm not to, to really be fair worried about Liv- that. Like, cause if, be fair- okay. Say Arsenal loses one game the rest of the season. Yeah. Okay. And to us. Okay. So that means they have, nine games left in the season and they're on a seven game win streak, which means they would have to lose one in 17 games. I don't think they can do that. I just don't. And if they do fair play to them, the title is theirs. Like they deserve it, but I don't think they're going to do it. Uh, Look, I think, you know, we'll chat after, you know, obviously we're going to do a pod after the Southampton game. Um, But like, I feel like after that week, we'll have a bit clearer picture. If, if Like I said, if Arsenal beat Liverpool, my confidence levels will go from, you know, that 40%. I'm at 40% for City right now. But if if they beat Liverpool at Anfield, because that's one of the big games where they should be dropping points, then I go, okay, fair enough. I think my chances go down to like 25%. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot less confident. Because this is the thing that's something like, we, we're talking about Arsenal dropping points, but that means we also can't drop points. And we've got yeah, some but we're tough also. Games. This is probably the games. best we've looked. This is the best we've looked in so long that yeah, and I think fair. it's actually feasible that City go the rest of the season without dropping points, at least in the Premier League. I don't to, think it's feasible for Arsenal to win every game other than City for the rest of the year, but I do think it's feasible for City. Yeah, so we, we still that, got a that's kind of where I am. We've still got a couple tough games, and I think our second second last game of the season is against Chelsea. Um, they they might look completely different by then. 
Yeah, um, who knows? They what, might be we, on another manager by then. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And they've got Brentford. We've got Brentford away on the last game of the season. I really hope... Like, if we are going to win the league, I really hope we don't need to beat Brentford on the last game of the season away from home to win the league. That'd be really frustrating. Yes. Um, and we do have Brighton away still. We've got we've got some tough games ourselves. The problem is we've got these tough games while we're playing a lot of other games, right? So, look, I've I've, I've got a stat in my head, right? I've got a stat in my head. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share it on this pod, but I'll share it when it either gets broken or when something else happens. But I'm not gonna say it just yet. <laughs> I was talking to you this about, I was saying this to you um, a couple of days ago, but I'm not gonna say it just yet. I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, All right. Just just another couple of comments I think that I want to throw in. So shout out to the Reddit community. Um, I did a really, really good April's joke. I said Harlan was out for the season. I copped a lot of um, <laughs> nasty comments about that, but I do this yearly. I do a nice April Fool's joke in that community every year. It's been, it's been six years running since I've been doing it. So apologies for that, guys. Um, and then also... So That's United, so cruel. That's <laughs> it so is, it is cruel. cruel. I, I, I've done some nasty, nasty April Fool's jokes um, over the years. I think once I said, you know, Shaker Mansour selling the club and everyone believed in and they jump into the thread and it's like, oh, <laughs> you got us really bad. It's because I've got the time zone advantage because my April Fool's hits a lot earlier than, um, <laughs> than everyone else around the world because <laughs> I'm in Australia. So I, I do have a bit of an advantage there. Um, but it, 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 I generally catch everyone out every year and... It's been six years running and the jokes continue. And I'll, I'm probably, I'll probably get you guys against next year, so I'll continue my cruelty then. <laughs> um, also, I just want to mention something else. So United dropped points um, on the weekend. They lost to Newcastle 2-0, okay. so they're in a top four race. They went from a title race to suddenly in a top four race. Um, and I, I'm pretty confident of this, but we'll get, we're going to finish for above them for the 10th year straight. So I'm looking forward to that. It's, long, may, uh, long may it continue. <laughs> it, <laughs> that is a hilarious stat, by the way. Ten years in a row. And, yeah, I mean, United just looked appalling just in general. They just looked yep. fucking terrible. Like the, Ten years in even a row. The, the, the scoreline does them points. a, the score point does them a service, too. Like, the scoreline. Oh, dude. I, was, I watched the I watched the extended highlights, right? The extended highlights, right? So this is like a ten minute highlights, and the entire ten minute highlights was Newcastle battering them for ten minutes. There was one chance that they showed United have, and it was Anthony getting a like a half volley chance, and he smashed it over the bar. That was their only chance in ten minutes of highlights. How does that happen? <laughs> Do you want to know a funny stat? Go for it. Shoot. Let's let's finish this let's finish this pot off on a funny stat. <laughs> so the goal differential since the beginning of last season. <laughs> this is gonna be good. <laughs> okay. The goal differential since the beginning of last season. Okay, for Manchester City, it is 118. <laughs> so we have scored. We have scored. 118 more goals than our opposition. Okay. Last goal year was seven. Right? Is it goal scored or goal difference? Goal difference. Goal difference. We've we scored 118 100- goal difference. Wow. Yeah. We we have we're at plus 45 this season and we were at plus 73 last season. 
okay? Wow. You want to know what United's goal difference is for this season and last season? Four. Four. <laughs> four. They had zero last season, and they're at four this season. Well, according to Eric Ten Hag, it's coming to an end. Yeah, so, yeah. It's coming that, to an end. Put, and put, it, that, put that in the bin. <laughs> for, for anyone... If you want really good entertainment, you go to Twitter and you find Howard Hawken and you go look at every single thing <laughs> that has been written about City or United or Liverpool for the past uh, however I love, many years. It has been so entertaining. <laughs> I love his I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's, let's wrap, wrap this one up. Let's wrap it up. It, it, so, it's, uh, it's been a good fun. <laughs> God, it's been so great. So I, lo- I love um, laughing at my rivals. <laughs> it's, there's nothing I love more. Nothing I love more. So um, if you guys need anything, you can contact us at our Twitter account, which is um, at peptalkpodfc, or you can email us at the peptalkpodmcfc at gmail.com. Thank you guys for joining, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks, guys.